Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Coach's Corner on the Fitter and Faster platform with your host, Mike Murray, as always. Today, I'm pleased to introduce Brett Arkey from Sarasota. We're going to have Coach Brett talking about a number of different things today. But I wanted to start with, Brett, you are now in your 11th season. And Brent, in that time that you've been the head coach, how have you guys grown as an organization and how have you fought through some of the pandemic? Because in Florida, it's been a little bit different. Sure. So, well, again, I, you know, 11 years in Sarasota, I've been there in different capacity, you know, I've got, kind of climbed the ranks as a, until I became the head coach in 2014. So I, feel like one of my strong suits is I've, I've been a part of the program for a long time and I kind of know what, what is expected, what the culture is. Um, you know, the Sarasota Sharks have a, I mean, just a crazy tradition. Uh, this is actually our 60, 60th year in existence. So, you know, that, that drives a lot of, of what I do is the tradition that we have down here. Um, you know, the, I mean, grown, we've actually, we've been through some, some interesting challenges. We, we have been a Y team for a long time. Um, the, the life, the life cycle of this team has been, it's weathered a lot of storms over, over the years. It's gone through parent boards. It's gone through uh, YMCA ownership. And now currently we are uh, contracted with the County to run and operate the facility and, um, we we also have this nonprofit also runs the swim team as well. So that's been in the last three years or so that that, that has kind of taken place. Um, so it's been a really interesting. Uh, it's been a lot of work, but it's been a really interesting interesting process. We had again some probably some down years there from a membership standpoint, and now that we've kind of stabled out, uh, stabled everything, um, and we've really we've actually started to grow a little bit. Uh, now some of that is is leading into the, the, well, one, we have growth in Florida like crazy, and that really hasn't stopped now during COVID. Um, so like you mentioned, it, it's, it's a little different down here. It's a little, it's, not, it's a lot more open, right? But I will tell you that a lot of that responsibility falls on us as coaches or facility managers to take care of everything. So there's some good and bad with that. Um, obviously, there, there's some people out there that you know, it, it, we're wide open, we can do whatever we want. And I don't really want to run a facility like that, right? So, because I don't, I don't want to be in the front page of the news that, you know, we've run some super spreader event. And so there, there's, there's some of that that you have to deal with, but we're still, we're very fortunate. We've been able to swim. Uh, we've been able to swim uh, in pretty much as normal, uh, maybe some, some paired back practice schedules maybe not as longer as long of blocks of time just because we're spread out we're still uh 2 to 4 to a lane really two to two to each side in each lane we're still doing that for our entire program um and again we're lucky enough to do that I, i'm not uh i'm not delusional on that there are a lot of people that would die for that um but at the same time there's a lot of management that goes along with it i will tell you that we're along with a lot of our rules, um, you know, it's a lot of management, but we've only had two kids that have tested positive out of our entire program. And uh, they have family members that are on the medical, you know, on the medical side of things. So, you know, again, I think uh, we just have a culture of we're trying to take care of each other. We're trying to give everybody the, the opportunities, the opportunity to get better. So I've been really proud of, of my crew just because they've really bought into this. There's some long days in there. Uh, but also the membership is just really bought into trying to take care of each other so we can all do what we need to do. I, I so appreciate that type of approach and, and we're trying to do similar things here. It is a little bit more of a challenge in the Northeast, but everybody has their own challenges at their own facilities, right? I know that you've tried to make it a point to keep your operations going so that your athletes have something to look forward to every day. Is that right? No doubt. I think really the growth that we are seeing, and we're seeing it on the master side too, which is, hey, if you haven't been paying attention, it, keeping yourself in shape and staying moving is is an important thing. And uh, you know, so we've seen a lot of our growth has been on, hey, we we school is really really important. We we are doing a ton of school. 
but man, we really, uh, we want to have an opportunity to do some athletic, uh, something athletic outside of, of the pool. And so we have a couple of groups that are a few times a week, very non-committal, and those have grown probably more than just about anything. Um, not to say that we haven't, haven't had some growth on the competitive side, but we've seen a lot of that where, hey, I just, I want to stay moving. This, I want to be outdoors. And again, a, a big uh, difference for us is we're outdoors year round. For better or for worse, it was 35 degrees this morning on the pool deck. So I'm not going to complain too much because I've seen you out there with snow on the deck. But, you know, you're, I'm still wiping ice off my windshield so, <laughs> uh, standing on the deck. Um, so, but it, yes, I mean, it, there you can't argue the benefit of being in a group with your teammates, kids your age, social interaction, getting off the computer. These guys are sitting at the computer right now a lot of them are doing online classes. And so, man, they're just trying to get out of the house. I, I can't imagine. I think back to me being a little kid sitting in front of the computer for six hours. There's, there's no way, there's no way I would, I would have done it or my, I would have drove my mom crazy. Um, so it, it, you can't underestimate what we're doing here and what our role is. Yes. We're about high performance. We're about fast swimming, but man, we're also doing something a lot bigger than that, which is, you know, giving people a healthy kids, a healthy outlet to, to uh, grow and develop. Sarasota Sharks has such a tradition of excellence. What is it like now being the head coach there for a few years in a row now and having the responsibility to continue that proud legacy? What's that like? I don't think a lot of club coaches really understand what it's like to jump into a high level program like that with such a storied history. And now you are in charge of everything. What's that like? Um, well, I guess the short answer is I, I couldn't tell you what it's not like because I haven't been in that position. So uh, I just kind of take it day by day, but it's not something that I take lightly. Um, I mean, as I said before, we're on our 60th year of existence. Um, a lot of the struggles that we went through when the YMCA wanted to get rid of the program, you know, a lot of my motivation was, man, I can't let 60 years of tradition, multiple Olympians, I can't let that just disappear, not on my watch. And, and so that, that's been my motivation for, for quite some time. Uh, and I feel very responsible for, for the history and the legacy uh, and the people that came before me. Um, and I try to, try to teach that to the kids and the other coaches. You know, we've done a really good job of getting a new record board up, uh, getting our Olympic trial qualifiers up. I'm working on the, the history of all the head coaches that have come through here. And, and you start digging through some of this stuff. And I mean, there's some names that have come through here. Uh, you know, little known fact, Greg Troy swam for the Sarasota Sharks. You know, it was his first swim team and I believe his first coaching job long, long ago as a Sarasota high grad. Um, you know, so there's history that goes way, way back. I mean, I guess, sure, there's, there's pressure and there's expectations that come along with it. I'm okay with that. I mean, I knew what I signed up for. If, if I didn't, if I didn't want it, then I, then I would have, I would have done something else. So um, I, I have, I have good support groups. I, I, I have a wife that understands swimming. She was an open water national swimmer. Um, you know, so she, she gets it, understands the hours. And, and you know, again, I just want to put, I, there's a lot of great stuff that has come along. And my, my job is to just make it, make it better you know, take all of the things that were great and add a little bit of what I believe is going to make us better, teach everybody around here that we got to keep evolving. Uh, you know, we're not going to do the same things we were doing 50 years ago and expect to be, expect to be successful. So, I mean, I guess there, there's, there's a lot, it, I guess it could be heavy. I choose not to, not to look at it that way. And uh, I, I, I've surrounded myself with a staff that really buys into what the Sarasota culture is and, and just, really loves this place and wants to make it better. You have a rich personal history with, with the state of Florida and swimming in Florida and your experience as an athlete. Talk to us a little bit about what your experience was like growing up and swimming and who some of your biggest influencers are. Well, I, I feel like I'm very, very lucky in a lot of ways. So I was a great age grouper. I was a, a, a good high school swimmer I was a mediocre college swimmer um, probably an early developer uh, by most people's standards that is definitely 
made made me look at the the progression of what we do a little differently. I, I would be lying if if I if that didn't ha- if I told you that that didn't have an effect on me. And I mean, I, I was one of those guys that at 11 or 12 years old swimming in the senior group, you know, 10 or 11 times and lifting weights and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I'd like to think that, that I've learned a lot from that um, and, and a great experience. I mean, I don't, I don't see it as a negative really at all. Um, it's just different looking back on it now that I'm a little bit older and can, can reflect on it. I, but I think the real, when I start to look, when you, you know, you, you kind of asked me, I have a few things ready. So I was kind of thinking about kind of my, my progression of swimming and how lucky I've actually been and, and not to just go through a name drop, but, you know, my first swim coach was, was, well, my first real influential swim coach was Mike Heath, who was a 1984 Olympian, you know, uh, that was in Jacksonville, uh, moved into Orlando. I swam for, swam for Mitch Ivey, uh, Bill Peak and his, his assistants and anybody who doesn't know those guys, they, they should look them up. Um, I swam for Clay Parnell, who is probably one of the most uh, uh, decorated high school coaches in Florida and maybe the country and just consistent. He's been there for forever. Um, I swam for Arthur Albiero at University of Alabama and Don Wagner at University of Alabama, Glenn Newfield for a year. After I left Alabama, I got to work with um, Nancy Hennessy and Chris Oliver, who again, I think are. Uh, some of the most underrated coaches on the planet. If you don't know them, you should look them up. They worked for John Morse for a long time and have got me connected to John Morse. And then I started working with the University of Florida with uh, Coach Troy, uh, Coach Nesty, Coach Wilby. Um, and so that was the beginning of my career where I was coaching eight and unders at the same time I was working with Olympic champions. And, and I think there's, uh, com- you know, compounding with my my background and you know, my growth uh, uh, as an athlete, having that experience of coaching eight and unders at the same time you're coaching more record holders. I-, I think if if I was telling somebody to go learn to coach, like that's that's how you get to do it. And I I kind of fell into it. I don't want anybody to think that it was like some premeditated thing. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time and took advantage of an opportunity. And so then at that point, you know, I was, you know, I'm working, you know, I'm working the, the full coaching grind, right? Five o'clock in the morning until 830 at night. I'm doing everything from eight and unders to masters to, you know, standing on the deck whenever I can, whenever, whenever anybody's, you know, swimming fast, I want to be there. Um, and you do that stuff when, when you're young and you don't have a, have a bunch of things to tie you down. And then I had to start making a living and uh, Steve Brown called me, which again, kind of goes back to my, my uh, age group career, he was a, I think he was the zone head coach when I was on a zone team when I was 13 years old or something like that. And so he called me and was like, Hey, do you want to come down to Sarasota? I don't have a whole lot of money, but I've got a, I got a job, you know, full-time job. And I was like, does it have benefits? And he was like, yep. And I was like, all right, I'll, you know, I'll be there. Um, And the rest here is kind of history and learning from from Sherwood and and Steve uh, Sherwood Watts and Steve Brown about running a bigger club and and kind of a tradition of excellence. Uh, I, I mean, I, again, I some of it is luck, some of it is being in the right place at the right time and taking advantage of situations. But I, I've been I've been very uh, fortunate in in my experience to just learn from a, a lot of people and you know a lot of those guys that I mentioned, they all coached or swam for the legends, right? They all swam for the, the Randy Reese's or the, um, the Don Gambrels or the, the councilmen's, um, you know, so it's just, it's, it's been, you know, Troy will tell you that Sweden has been a real influence on him. So it's, I've just had the opportunity to be exposed to so much that, that I, I just can't be, I can't stress enough how thankful I am for, for all of those opportunities that I've had along the way. Yeah. I, I like to bounce stuff off coach Troy, uh, before I do things too. Yeah. It's good to get that, that perspective. And sometimes it's, it's a real cold, hard, quick answer. And, and other times, you know, it, it's really thoughtful and, and you, you have to appreciate that. 
And, and what a list of names that you've been able to learn from and grow from and influence your philosophy as a coach. And one of the things I enjoy talking to our coaches about the most on this program is their development. And you mentioned four or five things that I think many of us did, the life that we lived. We got to the pool morning practice and those early years when I was coaching college, I wasn't leaving until after West Coast recruiting calls and, and you were always around, didn't miss meets. Uh, what advice do you have, Brent, for those young coaches who are coming up, maybe some of those young coaches on your staff? What advice do you have for them as they start to develop their careers? So look, look for opportunities that make you uncomfortable. That's probably the number one thing that, that I, I tell people. Um, don't, obviously you've got to pay the bills, right? But don't be so worried about money early on that you don't get the experience that will actually get you the ability to make money later on, right? Like take the short-term loss for the long-term gain find a mentor. I think that's a little cliche, but find a mentor. And, and I'll share, you know, my experience with Troy bringing me into the office. And he asked me point blank. He was like, what, what you know, what do you want to get out of this? What do you want to do? And I told him, I said, I want to be a head coach by the time I'm 30. And he was like, all right. And at that point he knew what, what I wanted and he was going to do everything he felt was necessary to, to set me up for that. So I guess the, the, what I would share is don't be afraid to find a mentor that you can share your, your goals with and that cares enough about you that they'll make you uncomfortable enough to get you to where you want to go. And, and I think don't run from the uncomfortable, lean into the uncomfortable, because I think that's, that's going to make you a lot better long term. If you can find the opportunity to work with somebody who maybe does it differently than than you did as a swimmer, I think that's important as well. You may come back to those things that made you successful as an athlete, but it but you're going to coach hundreds of kids that come through the the your program, and so you've got to have other ideas of ways to get to individuals if the way that you know doesn't work, because it's going to happen. If you have a group of 30 kids, they're all not going to be respond the same way to, to what you did or what you believe at the time is, is right. So uh, finding other, other ways to do it and then trying to find a way to, to fit that into what you believe is works for you. Absolutely. And, and what I appreciate is you have some great perspective on that, right? Not everybody is going to respond to our own uh, thought process in terms of development. How are we developing our, our athletes' ability to sprint? What are their aerobic capabilities? Uh, how athletic are they? Am I thinking about their physical literacy? These are all things that, that we're considering all the time. And sometimes, you know, you get defined, whether it's fairly or unfairly, by the programs that you came out of, right? So... Here you are as a young coach. People know that you coached with Coach Troy. And when we say Coach Troy, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that we can think about, right? So what are some things that you took away from, from working there? And how did it shape your philosophy in regards to training and preparing your athletes? So, you know, Troy, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, my wife swam for Troy. Uh, I work for Troy. So, you know, always uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of Coach Troy. You know, take that for, for what it's worth. So I have a, a lot of influences from, from him. Uh, when people ask me this, I, I think the one thing that is way under, underappreciated for him is these guys that have been the, the, the real elite performers, they have great relationships with him that are based on pure honesty. And I think that we throw around the term, you know, relationship coach and, and all of that. And I think a lot of people make that sound like it's some flowery thing all the time. And, and I think that if you have a really good relationship with anybody, you should be able to have honest conversations with them. And sometimes that may be things that, that are a little prickly or a little hard to hear, but you trust that person enough that, that you appreciate their, their honesty. And he, he was, a, he's really, really good at, at creating relationships 
in an honest in an honest manner um you know i i think he also gets a rap for for volume i would tell you that that Troy's probably more intense than and his intensity is a lot higher and longer than most people's not necessarily a volume standpoint does he do some volume of, of course he does um, I think probably what I took from him was volume is important from a skill acquisition acquisition standpoint you've got to do a lot of reps well and and so if that takes some volume to do it then then so be it he, he definitely puts an emphasis on that and, and which manifests itself maybe in, in some volume. The, the other piece is he's just willing to challenge people. And, and I, I don't think that, that that can go unappreciated in a world where it's very easy to, you know, kind of, kind of run from, from what's hard. You know, he's, he, again, I think comes back to those relationships. I mean, I think I remember there's a group of underwater kick guys with him that were into how many underwater, you know, 25s we could do on the fastest possible interval. And I'm not even sure that came from him. I think it came from the athletes. You know, they were like, oh, we heard these guys over in, you know, at Stanford, we're doing this and we want to try it. So I was like, all right, you know, let's, let's get after it. So, you know, again, I think that goes back to the relationships that, that he has. There's no doubt about that, you know, and um, I, I so appreciate that aspect of coaching in and of itself. We, you know, we, are constantly searching for the best way to relate and communicate, as you mentioned, to the kids. I think some of the things that we've lost along the way of trying to find that secret ingredient is not being afraid to come in and say, listen, guys, we're going hard today. This is going to be a challenge, but it can be fun too. So how are you incorporating aspects of fun into your program on a daily basis at Sarasota? Well, I think it's been more and more a challenge here with COVID, right? Because we're all right. spread out all over the place. And, and you know, I'm yelling to get to everybody. I feel like I need to have a megaphone all the time. And it's a lot of moving. And I probably, I wish I could, um, you know, spend a little more time with each individual person. It's just really hard. I didn't realize, you know, how difficult that was going to be going back and forth on either side of the pool all the time. Um, and actually, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm getting older. I don't know. I get way more tired going back and forth all the time than I used to. Um, but you know, fun, I, I, I again, you kind of alluded to it, right. Um, you know, when we, when we've got something on a piece of paper, that's going to be difficult. Um, I, I have found that just laying it all out there up front is and telling everybody what it's going to be. Hey guys, I expect you to support each other. Um, I mean, I, I would probably say I'm not the world's most like fun guy on the planet. You know, it's not my, it's not my strong suit. Um, I think I'm probably better one-on-one -on -one going back and forth with somebody, you know, jokingly than I am like creating a, uh, you know, Hey, we're going to go relays every day kind of guy, you know, that's, that's not my style. Um, so again, I think we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk a little more about relationships, but you're trying to find, trying to be honest in those in, with what we're going to do that day and in empowering the kids to make it fun you know so if you've got the the jokester boy over in lane three you kind of let him do his thing because he, he's got his role in in the 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 practice um you know, kind of knowing what your group is made of as a whole and kind of letting them do their thing within your parameters right hey we're going to work hard we're going to my big thing is we're going to work hard and we're going to be respectful i'll deal with everything else in between, right? So if you, you're allowed to do what you need to do as long as you're being respectful and as long as you're working hard. So, um, you know, I, I guess I, my approach is giving a little more leeway for people to be themselves. And hopefully sometimes your, your group makeup is a little different, right? I've definitely learned that over the years is sometimes you drive the bus a little bit more because you don't have some of the natural leaders Sometimes you've got to create a little more fun because you don't have a goofball in the group or, you know, I think you get smarter as you've been around for a, a little while and you, you start becoming a little more of a chameleon for what your group needs. Um, so, I mean, uh, that was, that was a long way to answer that question, but, you know, I think I allow them to, to try to enjoy the, the hard work um, by supporting each other and, and allowing them to work within, within our, our constraints. Yeah, and you mentioned a couple of things there that I wanna talk about and that, that resonated with me. First of all, 
it's a different dynamic at practice right now, right? We have athletes at either end of the pool. And when you said that, I was thinking to myself, my gosh, I'm doing the exact same thing. So there's conversations between the athletes and, and they're positive for the most part happening at this end. I'm explaining at this end and then I got to go back to the other end. And that's a different dynamic, right? And so you're right. You don't have as much time as you normally would to, to necessarily engage with the athletes in the way that you normally would. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think there's a lot of coaches out there going through the same thing. Sure. As, as far as the relationships go and building relationships with your athletes, you know, they, they start to kind of identify and know exactly what makes us tick, what makes us happy, what makes us excited, what gets their coach enthused. How are you talking to your staff about engaging with the athletes and, and what are some key takeaways that you want them to have at practice every day? So, well, so with my staff, um, actually Ian Murray, a uh, dynamo was, was somebody that I was talking to about this and we kind of run the same dry land system and um, we, we use a lot of what we do before we get in the pool as not only a, an opportunity to do warm up to swim, but uh, you know, talk to your athletes. And uh, I, I, I was listening to him talk and I, it really started me, it started uh, making me realize uh, maybe I didn't recognize how important that 10 minutes before and 10 minutes after is. And I think our staff does that um, maybe just because that's all what we've always done. But I think that during COVID it's, we've recognized how important it really is. Hey, get there 10 or 15 minutes early. Don't be afraid to stay 10 or 15 minutes. And those, man, those could be, I think I got in some ridiculous political debate with one of the kids and you know, that, that ended up being a catalyst to a, a really great season just because I met him on his level and, and, we, and he understood that, that uh, we had some sort of common ground. And so, uh, again, the, the before and after, I think, is, is something that you can't take for granted. Um, as far as in the pool, one of the biggest things, and, and I'm not great about it, is I give feedback and or corrections and then uh, because we're so spread out, I tend to move on and I probably need to follow up with that correction or that, that conversation. And so we've been, we talk a lot about connecting, connecting the dots you know, don't just leave something open-ended. Um, again, I'm not sure I'm great about it all the time because I'm trying to get to everybody. And I, I think sometimes I, I start driving home and I'm like, man, they did a good job. I should have followed up with them and told them that they, you know, they made a good correction there. Um, so again, I think that has come back to make sure you've got good staff and staff that knows their role. You know, I've got a couple of guys, one's been a shark forever, or, you know, he grew up a shark, swam at South Carolina has come back and now he's coaching with us. And I've got another guy who's been with me for a long time. He's now working with me right, right now on our top group. And he's fantastic at, either coming by and going, Brent, follow up with him, or he'll follow up for me, you know, so he knows I'm running around. And, and I, I think good assistants are just invaluable in, in that, in that respect. Um, so that's kind of what we're talking about as a, as a staff. Um, I, on the athlete end, I, and I think there's some real positive to this, taking a lot more ownership and being independent has, it's always been kind of a cornerstone of what I do, but I think it's more so now, hey, you better know your stroke count. You better know your time. You better know your kick counts. You better, you know, it's, I'm not here to just click a stopwatch for you for the next two hours. I'm not here to count your strokes for you. You gotta be engaged in what, in what you're doing. So I think a lot of it is kind of flipping a lot of people's, you know, a lot of these athletes' mindsets to, if I come by and I go, hey, what are your counts? And they, if, if they can reel them off, then I know you're, I know you're engaged, right? I guess they're, they could be, you know, they could just throw some numbers at me, but again, that's, that's a choice that, that they're making and it's, and it's their career. I, and probably five or six years ago, I would have lost my mind about something like that. But I think it, now I'm much more patient with, Hey, this is your, this is your choice. You know, you don't, you don't, if you, if you want to give me bad information, I'm not going to be able to give you good information back. So um, that, that's kind of both sides of it, I think. Brent, that's great because that it's cathartic to hear me to hear you talk about that, and it's things that we're experiencing here at at Victor as well. 
Um, you know, there are times where I think to myself on the ride home, you know, I didn't do a good job of recognizing Johnny or Sally's uh, intention, attitude, and effort there. And I should have made a point to get back to that. So that, that was really cathartic for me to hear you say that. And then the other thing that really hit home with me is that, you know, you're trying to teach this accountability piece. We can only do so much, right? And this is something that I spend a lot of time talking about with our athletes and with our staff. We can create an environment. Um, we can point a certain direction, but ultimately we have to inspire these kids to do it for themselves. And if they're doing it for themselves because they're realizing that it's important to their goals, they're going to supplement what their teammates are doing. And when their teammates' goals are as important to them as their own goals, that's a culture that really flourishes. So how do you encourage being a great teammate at Sarasota Sharks? Well, I think a lot of it starts with just setting the tone early in the season. Almost, again, a little different in COVID because we kind of didn't know exactly what all the meets were going to look like, yada, yada, yada. But we still sat down in the, in the fall. We're pretty open and honest. We throw things up on a dry erase board. You're filling out goal sheets. And those goal sheets are some personal goals, but they're also some team goals. We throw team goals up on the dry erase board. You know, it's pretty much, it's pretty much all out there. Um, you know, there's no hiding it. There's no, you know, this is what we want to do. You know, then, then it's just a reminder along, uh, along the way, right? Is, are these choices that you're making in line with the goals that, that we talked about as a, as a team? And that's kind of our line with just about everybody, parents and athletes is, you know, hey, listen, it's not personal. You told me that this is what you wanted to accomplish. And my job is to help you get to where you want to go. And again, we might not always agree exactly on how, on how to get there, but I'm, I'm the swim coach that's supposed to be helping you get to, to where you said you wanted to be. And so if I have to remind you that maybe these behaviors or these habits or this pace or this stroke count, whatever it may be, doesn't equate to what you told me you want to be, you can choose to take offense to that, or you can choose to, to dig in and make, make a change. And, and, and again, I think I've become much more patient with that than, than maybe I would have been years ago. But, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a goal setting process. It's being open about what we want to do. And then I think one of the things that, that we haven't done quite as well in COVID just, just because of team meetings have been a little strange, um, you know, every now and then you got to do some check-ins on that, you know, where, what did we talk about in the fall? Do, do we need to adjust what that looks like? Do we need to, do we need to change the course somewhere? Do, do we need to raise the bar? Did we already, did we already kill it? And we gotta, we gotta raise the bar. Um, I think probably we do a better job of that internally in staff meetings, talking about that kind of stuff. And, and as I sit here and talk about it, maybe it's something we could work on as far as, Hey, just because we talked about it in a, in a staff meeting doesn't necessarily know the, mean the athletes know what, what we're expecting or that, Hey, we've decided we're going to raise the bar. If we believe in, in buy-in, like we've got to tell them that we're raising the bar too. I, I totally agree. And I like that you're very self-evaluative and then you're evaluative from a, a team and a, uh, a staff standpoint to where, you're thinking about what's our next move going to be because this is where we are right now. I, I can really appreciate that perspective. One thing that I want to ask you about, and, and you've mentioned several times, you know, this year due to COVID, that phrase, which is really important and we're all going through it. We're finding particularly our 11th and 12th graders are really struggling the most, right? So they've had their, their proms taken away. They've had their college recruiting visits taken away. They've had uh, junior nationals taken, all the, th our training trip taken away. All the things that the kids in our program traditionally look forward to at those ages, that in a certain sense, they, they believe they have earned, right? All of these things have been kind of taken away. And, you know, we can plan as a staff to engage with them better give them a little extra TLC, make sure we're, we're meeting them in their space every day. But are you seeing similar effects on that age group in Florida? Yeah, so I, 
I've, I've heard a lot of people talking about this and, and I, I hadn't really, I hadn't really dealt with it too much until very recently. Um, like I'm talking within the last month or so. And that may just be because we've been fairly normal um, up until you start getting to the second semester of your, you know, I think last year, everybody, you know, hey, this is a pandemic. We know we're going to have to give some things up. It's not going to be comfortable, but you almost, you almost like could understand it. You almost rationalize it a little bit. This sucks, but, but we'll, but we'll deal with it. You know, class of 2020, we'll deal with it. And now all of a sudden it's like, all right, class of 2021, this might be a real thing in 21. Shoot, this might be a real thing in 22 still. Um, so I, I'm starting to see it now a little bit more than maybe I had heard of early on. And, and I think, again, that's just a function of, of being in Florida. You know, how are we handling it? And we've tried to do, we'll do as much as we can to replicate Again, we're, we're outdoors, right? So we can do some things like we're going to have a banquet, right? It's going to be outdoors in a pavilion and we're all going to be spread out six feet apart. And we're going to have big old speakers and we're, you know, we'll, we'll make it work, right? Um, trying to create some sort of normalcy. But, but I also think mental health is a, is a thing, right? It, it's, it's been a huge thing. Everybody's talking about it. Only a handful of people have taken advantage of it. But I, I usually, I tell everybody that I'm in my office from two o'clock until 2.55, right? You are always welcome to come in, shut the door. You're allowed to cry. You're allowed to cuss at me. You're whatever. You're, it's, it's, you're, you're allowed to. Um, anything goes, right? And, um, you know, I've had a handful. I've had a handful over the years take advantage of that. And then there are also days that, and again, goes back to your relationships, right? You got to be honest enough with with your with your coach, and that you can walk in and go, "Hey, I, coach, I, I just need a day. I need a day, or I need a practice." And you know, then it's my job as the coach to kind of read the situation. Is it something that I that I should be prying into, or is it just a, "All right, let me know what I can do, and I'll see you tomorrow." Uh, you know, and, I, and again, I think that goes back to your relationship. You can read the read read the athlete. You know, is this is this athlete about ready to break down, and you need a you need to have a conversation with them about it or is it hey they just need a day they just need a day and and these kids are they're in different spots than they've got a lot of pressure on them again very different than maybe the way i grew up but um you know a lot of these guys are in heavy they're in heavy heavy stress from school heavy stress from swimming and i think now that um you know, not, you know, not to get political or anything, but it's harder and harder to pay for college and try to find ways to, to get into college that's, a, a, that's affordable for you long-term. And, and so I think there's, you know, yes, we're a, we're a wealthy sport, but a lot of us are middle-class or upper-middle-class, and that's still, it's a lot of money to go to college. So I get it. I, I get all that stuff, and I just try to be there. I, I don't know if I have a magic, uh, magic answer for that. I just try to be there and be supportive. You know, I think um, you and I really came up at the same time in coaching and going through the ranks. And, you know, one of the things that I that took me a while to really understand in the transition from young coach to now being a more seasoned coach, the first thing I'm, I'm thinking about at the beginning of the season is where can we develop these athletes? What are their goals? How can we get them to their goals? Where early in our career, I think, you know, certainly for me, and I'm not sure for you, but I was thinking to myself, this athlete's not that far away from this time standard. This athlete's not far away from making this national team. What are things that I can do right now to get them there? And, and the transition for me kind of occurred when, you know, I, my, my stepchildren were, were going through the process of developing as young athletes to where it started to become much more of a holistic approach how is swimming going to be the vehicle that gets them to the next step? And I know, and you mentioned this earlier, you do some work with Vern um, and, you, and you have a close relationship with Ian Murray. And, and those are two of the best practitioners in the sport of understanding, developing people before athletes. What's your perspective on that, Brent? Well, again, I think it goes back to a little bit of my personal experience. Um, you know, 11 or 12 years old in the, in the national group at one of the best programs in the country at the time. And, um, 
you know, there's some good and, and bad to that. You know, I'm not sure that every 12 or 13 year old needs to be exposed to some of the stuff that, that 17 and 18 year olds are, are doing. Um, so again, I, I think I was predisposed to have some sort of um, differing opinion than that when I started coaching. And then when I, when I came, well, Chris and Nancy at Gator Swim Club and, and they were at Bowls before Gator Swim Club um, Chris and Nancy were really big on, you know, the development of, of the whole athlete. And so again, um, we were really looking at progression, 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 progression at the same time that I was, like I told you, coaching those eight and unders and those, those medalists all at the same time. And so I was kind of inundated with this idea of, of progression and probably didn't know exactly how I how I thought that that would work until, you know, until I became a head coach. Um, and, and really when I first got to Sarasota, there's, there's progression, 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 you know, we're, we're not, we're not in a hurry to move people through the program unless there's, you know, exception, you know, exceptional situations. And so I think that was probably the beginning of it was, um, I, you'll probably hear me say this if we, if we continue to go through some of this stuff is like lowest possible effective dose. Right. So, what, what that's I think that's a never ending uh, evaluation process for me is okay fine I've got some volume and I've got some work in my background and but but man we've got we've got some really good I'm going off on a tangent here but the uh, a really you know I've got some really good milers right now that aren't doing anywhere near as much as we used to right um, so you know what is what why is that and I think some of that goes back to you know, the progression and the holistic approach is, do we really need stressed out 11 and 12 year olds about, you know, at the, at the flag level, are we trying to win the age group championship meet? If you win the age group championship meet, that's awesome. That's, that's fantastic. And, and I don't want that to sound like anything more than it is. It, it's, it's awesome. Um, but if they're so stressed out about that, that when they go and move up to the next age group, that they struggle with the idea of I have to climb the ladder again when I'm 13, 14. Like, I don't think we've done, we've, we haven't done them any justice. Um, you know, and then the second, second piece of that is, is the, been the dry land and knowing that athletes are not getting, they're not moving. They're not moving like we did in, in middle school, elementary school uh, for a myriad of reasons. Right. So, one of the things that we're doing right now, and again, my assistant coaches are, are really into it and we're very influenced by Vern. I mean, Vern's with us every other day because he lives in Sarasota. So, you know, we, we got 10 and under boys that are running across the pool deck, excited about throwing the dodgeball on one foot or with their left hand or whatever, because we're, 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 I don't know, are you allowed to play dodgeball anymore? We do, we, whatever we play it. And so the, the, you know, we're trying to be athletic, but sneaking it into games. And then the games turn into a little more movement based. And then we might, uh, we might turn them into uh, some resistance. And so then all of a sudden you're, you're leaving some, leaving some things that they can keep adding while they're, while they're growing. And, and also you can take some things away. If, if you've got a boy who's grown five inches in the last year and he just needs to rest, like, you're allowed to do that. Like, it's okay to do that. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that, I don't know if that answers, um, answers your question, but it, it's a, it's a, the progression is a huge cornerstone to, to what we're doing. I really appreciate that. And, you know, now you've, you've opened up this whole other uh, line of questioning that I want to get into because Vern was uh, great about promoting this Coach's Corner episode. <laughs> he had it up all over the place, which is great. Uh, and, and we're so appreciative of that. Talk to me about games in Dryland, because so many of us are sick and tired of what we've put together in September by the time we get to January, right? And we're always hearing from the athletes, this is the same thing. We do the same thing every year, just variation. So Talk to me about how you've gamified your, your dry land and some of the things that you do with Vern. Well, so I don't want to take too much credit for it. A lot of it is my, my head age group coach, Andrew Eckhart, who um, is really 
he was he was with us from 2012 stepped away to go to Miami for a little bit and uh, coached at Gulliver Prep and then came back uh, he is has a teaching background um, and is really into pedagogy and so he he has taken some of the Vern aspects of what we do and the game and game swimming um, and has really just kind of taken them himself and and created modules and um, just opportunities for kids to have fun while learning how to uh, move, move their bodies. And so, you know, again, I, I, I don't want to make it sound like it's some like um, life-changing thing, but it, it is, it is um, what I do know is that, that the kids want to be there. Right. So, so instead of like dragging their bags in, they're like throwing, you know, throwing their stuff on the bleachers and hauling over to, to whoever's running dryland that day. And again, it it's relay races, uh, doing crab walks, or it's, uh, you know, it's it's how far can you jump? It's it's a like I said, a dodgeball game that you know you're using using, um, you know, one foot, one arm, um, just trying to be, trying to take what we do at the highest level. And we pare it down and just, I mean, that's really the whole process is, all right, what do we do at the top? And then what if, if and I think the other piece to it is we all have kids right now. We all have like, uh, I think the three, uh, three of our full-time coaches, we've got uh, six kids that are all ages two to seven or something like that. So we're, we're really in tune to, all right, would my kid want to do this? And you know, what, so I think that that's, that's been really influential as well. Um, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of real specifics. I mean, the, the dodgeball one is the one that everybody like loves. They all, I mean, I keep talking about it, but especially the boys. And, and I think we got to do a better job in general of getting boys in the sport and keeping boys in the sport. And in Florida, you can play all the sports year round. So we, we've got to find, we got to find other ways to get them there. I think dry land and games is, is definitely a, uh, an opportunity to do that. It's really an exciting part of our job, right? Like dryland is becoming so much more influential across our sport. It's a buzzword. Everybody's looking for the next best thing, but I think you've already kind of found the rhythm and the, and the rhythm is uh, play, you know, yeah. and, and, and learning to develop your physical literacy through play. You mentioned it earlier, but you know, when you and I were kids, I mean, I was outside all day, you know, my brothers and I were outside all day and, um, you know, culture has changed and it's, and it's different. And that's not any, I think a, a mistake that coaches make is they latch on to that and then, Oh, you know, the back in my day kind of approach. Um, but it's different. It's culturally different. Moms and dads aren't home to kind of supervise anymore. Right. And so, um, you know, it's a sign of the times, but, but play at practice allows them to explore that again and maybe develop some skills that 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 they're not developing on their own, right? No, no doubt. I, I think there's plenty of literature out there on on structured and unstructured free play, right? And um, I, I think maybe you know again I, we talked about it early. I kind of have my parameters. Like we're going to work hard. We're going to be respectful. Like that's kind of how I view the the play thing. It's like all right, we're not going to do anything dumb where we're going to get, you know, injured, but at the same time, um, you, you know, we're, we're going to stay moving and we're going to, you know, I think everything's about, you know, staying in those, in the, and whatever your parameters are. Um, we spend so much time trying to prescribe and micromanage every movement. And again, I think some of this comes from my four-year-old son where, man, if I, if I wanted to chase him around all day, I mean, I guess I could, but but why? I mean, why, why am I, why am I going to try to tell him, you know, how to, to climb the ladder? Like if he wants to go on, on backwards on his hands up the ladder, what do, what do I care? Like what's, he's going to fall a foot. I mean, it's not when he's just having fun, right. It's just screwing around and having fun. So um, I, I think I had a parent meeting one time where, where I was talking, I was, this is early on when I had, had the kid uh, climbing up the stairs. Right. And I feel like that's a lot of what we do is, you know, I'm going to let you climb up the stairs. 
I'm probably going to stand one or two stairs behind you. And if you fall, I'll let you fall a stair or two. I'm not going to let you fall the whole flight, right? But uh, I want you to struggle. I want you to find, figure out how to get it done. But I'm not going to let you fall flat on your face. And, and I, I think, uh, again, as I've become a parent, uh, that's one of the things that, that's the way I look at a lot of the things that we do is I want you to exert yourself, stress yourself, um, be excited about, about uh um, trying something new, be excited about trying something hard. And if you, if you fall, fall back a couple of steps, no big deal, right? It's no big deal. We'll just, we'll just do it again. Um, and and I, 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 I kind of feel that way about, about coaching all the time too. I love that, man. That's a great segue into our quick fire questions. Cause I, I that's a great response. And, uh, you know, our job is not to blaze the trail, right? We, we can show the direction, but they got to create their own path. And, and I really appreciate that perspective. All right, you ready to jump into these? It's going to be fun. Sure, let's do or it. May, or maybe not so much, depending <laughs> on, on your memories. Uh, the first one that I want to go to, favorite memory of Greg Troy on deck at practice in a particularly challenging workout. How excited he was, I believe it was 2008. And there was a set of eight 100s from blocks, you know, 2008, so leading up to the Olympics. And I remember Ryan going two 100s of each stroke um, from the blocks. And you got to remember at the time, I think in 2008, I might screw up some names here, but I'm pretty sure Sean Frazier was still there. Um, NCAA champion in the fly. Rex Tullius was there. I think he was fourth in the 200 backstroke that year, maybe in 2008. Um, but he, he was there and, and a hell of a backstroker. Um, Clark Burkle, I think, was still there, breaststroke. And I think young Brett Frazier was there. They were all just, I mean, killing each other on these eight 100s from the block. And I just remember I mean, Troy just being super excited, getting everybody all, all, um, all riled up and, and racing. And I, for whatever reason, that just really sticks out of my mind, just because, I mean, when, when do you see that the, those kind of people all, all in, and a couple of the names may be wrong, but there was no, there were no slouches do, going eight 100s from the blocks that day. Um, and man, they were just, just killing each other. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch and a lot of fun to watch Troy just kind of manipulate the whole situation. Every athlete that you just made had finished in the top five at NCAAs at some point or another. <laughs> yeah, sure. And and doing a lactate set, I mean that that had to have been really exciting. Yeah, fun. Uh, a, another Gator type of question here, and I've asked every one of my guests on Coach's Corner that this question this year is: Does it take a sub twenty-one second performance to win the fifty freestyle in Tokyo? I hope so. Uh, that would be awesome. That would be great. That would be great for the sport. It'd be great to see. That would be awesome. Let's say yes. Yes, it does. That would be awesome. I just I for the sake, of, sake of the sport. That'd be awesome. It, it's about 50-50 right now with guests. So that's great. I'm glad that, that you answered that way. All right. We can say her name now because everybody knows she's right at it. Do we see that eight minute mark go down by Ledecky this time around? It's hard to say because we haven't seen we haven't seen what she's been doing recently. But I think I'll probably always go back to man. I hope so because it's great for the sport, right? It's just awesome for the sport. Every time somebody does something like that, you all of a sudden you open the door for a whole bunch of people to start going eight ten, right? Eight ten is just not a big deal anymore. Um, and and that that's what I'm excited about. So I, I'm gonna again for the sake of the sport, I'm gonna say yes. Let you know. I hope so. You know, we, we talk about uh, some of the world records out there and, and you look at the 200 IM world record um, and 154 flat. I think that one's in, in danger too, um, but it's going to be a fun Olympics to watch. How have you managed so far with your parents and athletes who might have trial cuts um, to kind of emotionally wrap their head around the fact that we're going to be at two meets? So again, this may come across as patting myself on the back, but but early on last year, when, when all of this started, I, I sat down everybody that had trial cuts and said, hey, listen, this is, you got to wrap your head around that, uh, the possibility of this just not happening or being extremely modified. Again, I have a little bit of a unique situation. So my, 
I guess my, my approach was, Hey, we're going to find a place to swim fast. It doesn't matter if it's in Omaha or not, we're going to find a place to swim fast and we'll be ready because I, we spend 12 months out of the year teaching these kids to adapt, right? This is no different. This is no different. Don't make it more than it really is. Um, it's a swim meet and we're going to swim fast and we'll find a place to swim fast. Now, I understand that not everybody has had that opportunity to necessarily swim fast, especially in the long course pool. Um, and, and really, when we got back in the water in the fall, it was kind of the same thing. I just had, I, I called the parents and the athletes and said, hey, listen, we're going to have to be flexible. We're going to have to be flexible. And we're just going to have to, we're not going to sit around and complain about what, whatever the decision is that's made. We, we're just going to figure it out and we'll, we'll keep working hard. Again, USA Swimming, I think, probably did exactly what they had to do in order to make this thing work. And so I really haven't had anybody. I'm sure there are some people that are upset, you know, that they're maybe not in wave two. But again, it's but let's go. Let's go to work and make wave two cuts then. I mean, they're just cuts, right? They're just cuts. And I try not to to make it too complicated. And we're just and we, we work with such developing athletes that they really put their mind to it. They can, they can get it done. Right. They, they, we're, we're, we're coaching young athletes that if they put their mind to it, they can get it done. No doubt about it. And every year we make cuts faster and the kids swim faster. Absolutely. So Absolutely. we just keep on, keep on keeping on. Um, Brent, what does the ISL mean for the future of our sport? Well, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know what happens behind, you know, behind closed doors. Right. If, if we can continue to make it, if it, if it can continue to make financial sense, it gives an opportunity for, for the, the post-collegiate athletes to make a living doing this sport, which is positive. It gives us, it gives our sport, when I say us, it gives this sport uh, TV time. That's awesome. There's, there, there is zero downside to that. And I think that we are good enough. I think one of the things that people can are worry about is, you know, well, they're going to, they're going to rest for this long or they're going to rest here. We've got the best coaches, you know, the best coaches are going to, going to figure it out, right. They're going to figure it out. I still, I still don't see any way around the Olympics being the most important thing for, for us. So I, I don't, I don't, um, you know, I, I just think the ISL is just another opportunity. And, and I think that's, I think that's exciting. I think that's exciting. And um, I, as college continues to be uh, more and more challenging, maybe it's another, maybe there's another opportunity there, there as well. So um, I'm all for options. I'm all for options and people can choose what, what path is right for them. Um, I just hope that it financially continues to work out. So and again, it goes back to your point. It's great for the sport. Right. Um, <clears throat> all right. Last question. Probably the hardest one. Favorite venue that you've ever been to for a swimming meet? I'm trying to decipher if it is because of fast swimming or if it's just my favorite to go to. That's uh, what I struggle with too, man. <laughs> man, you know, you can't beat Irvine, right? You can't, you can't beat Irvine. I'm sure that one comes up all the time. Um, beautiful weather, us Florida guys, you know, we'll sit out in the blazing sun all day. Cause it's still better than what we have to deal with down here in the middle of the summer. And, you know, like we'll all be in the sun and everybody else is trying to find the shade somewhere. Um, and I've had some real, I mean, I've had some real good experiences in, in, in Irvine with athletes. So it probably sticks out in, in my mind, um, as one of, one of my favorite venues. Maybe, maybe I, uh, I, I'm particular to Santa Clara. I love that okay. meet. Kids, kids love that meet. California again, you know, for us, it's a vacation. For us, it's a vacation to get down to Sarasota. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you. you know, the, the, you mentioned that, you know, those tough Florida summers, the hottest I've ever been on deck at a pool deck was when we had nationals and juniors in San Antonio a few years ago. You remember that? Yeah. It's, what was that? 15? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's the hottest I've ever been on deck. It was like 114 degrees. Yeah. Well, it's uh yeah you start getting the the heat index in there and it it can be it can be brutal now we're a little lucky here in Sarasota because I think we're about I don't know two and a half miles as the crow flies from the from the water so we get some we get some wind and that'll save you but man if and if you're in Orlando middle of the state it can be just flat brutal 
Yeah, for sure. Brent, how can uh, coaches get in touch with you if they have more questions to ask? Uh, shoot me an email. You're, you're, you're always welcome to shoot me an email. Uh, B, like my first name, A-R-C-K-E-Y, my last name. So B Arky at SarasotaSharks.org. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to return emails, have phone calls, hear ideas, share ideas. Um, that's what we do. So um, please, if you have any questions, reach out. Brent, we appreciate your time today on the Fitter and Faster Coaches Corner. This episode will be available tonight, and we will also have it up on our YouTube channel. Thanks so much for your time, man. What a great episode. I appreciate it, and hopefully uh, we'll see you this summer. Awesome. Nice. Uh, nice. Thank you for having me, and I really appreciate it. Take care, Brent. Appreciate Thank it. You. We'll see you next time, guys. Bye-bye.